Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. How good. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, you can open straight up to 1 Samuel chapter 2, because that's where we're going to head today. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to take a moment to celebrate how good God is. I think we're in the midst of something a little bit special at the moment. I feel uh, that for whatever reason, God is, God is doing something profound. And it's, as I've been thinking about it and praying about what God's doing, I get this sense that it's this, this moment in time where by His Spirit, He's coming and He's bringing this spirit of conviction and, and just the joy of salvation and the joy of transformation. And it's such an, just a privilege, isn't it? To, be a, to, to witness people's lives being transformed, Amen. Is that just me or is anyone else excited about that? I'm so excited about what God is doing. And as we were praying this morning, don't forget we have a prayer meeting at 8.15 up in that room every Sunday morning. We'd love more people to be there. But as we were praying this morning, um, the words of that beautiful old song just resonated in my spirit. And I felt to share them before we began, which was, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Let's boast in Jesus for a second. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that as we enter this Christmas season, we're celebrating so much more than a a baby in a manger or a large jolly man with a red suit and gifts under his arm. Lord, we celebrate our Redeemer. We honour you and we worship you. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to move, that you would continue just to breathe upon each one of us, Lord, that we might have the privilege of being used by you to see others come to that powerful revelation that you are Lord and that you have redeemed us from the miry clay. You've you've set us free from the curse of sin and death. Hallelujah. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in a series in the last couple of weeks as we've hit the Christmas season, which we're calling Songs of Salvation. And it seems fitting because Christmas, there's a lot of great music around Christmas. There's Mariah Carey's Christmas album, which if your family's anything like mine, always comes out around this time of the season. Uh, There's Michael Bublé. Uh, who listens to a bit of buble over Christmas? A few of you. <laughs> Elisha, great. <laughs> Learned something new about Elisha today. <laughs> but the, the, there's a lot of great songs around the Christmas season. There's a lot of carols. We love to do these sorts of things. And it's wonderful. But there are, there are some songs in Scripture that are really significant. Because how many of you know that there's songs and then there's songs? Like there's songs that are, that are, 
there's lyrics and there's notes and you sing them and great, we've moved on, we've got straight past it. But then there are, there are other songs that do something to us. Anyone know what I'm talking about? There's other songs that actually transcend a moment or a message or a movement and they actually almost embody that moment message or movement. Like they, they become intrinsically linked to that thing so much so that the song itself will, will speak a message of, it could be years and years and years that, it, that comes to mind just by the hearing of a few simple notes. Let me give you an example from human history. Now, we'll have a couple of fun ones and then we'll have a couple of more serious ones. But there are some songs that, depending what culture you grew up in, uh, what subculture you were connected to, will immediately in hearing resonate with you. And it will mean a lot more than just the notes on the page. So as you hear this, if, if it does anything to you, if it brings something to mind, I want you to call out that thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, where should we begin? Let's, let's begin here. Friends, one of the most iconic songs, but it means a lot more than just, just friends, doesn't it? It means Ross and Rachel. It means this, you know, relationship set up from the very first episode all the way through 10 seasons and still wondering, are Ross and Rachel actually gonna be all right? It means so many things. What about this one? Who wants to keep listening to it? Anyone? Need I say any more? What about this one? This one will resonate, I'm sure, with some of you in the room. Give it a second. Anyone? <laughs> There's a bear, yeah. Play school! Who watched Play School? Uh, there we go. There's lots of music. What about this one? This is for some of the older, uh, well, not older, just the more mature saints in the house. <laughs> the Fonz. What about this one? <laughs> the cricket. Do you love it? All right, one more, one more still up. Now, this one is a bit more sub, subculture. I'm interested to see who's with me, but when I hear this song, it does all sorts of good things to my spirit. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Aaron Morris. Just give it one second. 1990s. Anyone? Chicago Bulls entry theme song to every game. And now the starting lineup. Sorry, that's very subcultural, but it still does something to me. It speaks of six championships. I could carry on. All right, let's get a little bit more serious. Similarly, songs that do things to us, a song that means so much more than just the words or as it is the notes on a page. We all know this one.
Which one? The last post. But it's more than just the last post, isn't it? There's people in this room who this means a whole lot to, more so than it means to it. Like we, it does something to our nation. It means something. As soon as you hear that, you know what it's talking about. It's talking about the Anzacs. It's talking about the battles that have been fought for freedom for our nation. And all you have to do is hear that and it all comes to mind. One more, one more. This is similarly a song that has become so much more than the notes and the lyrics on the page. It's got a tiny little intro, but you'll, you'll hear it. Anybody? Amazing Grace. There you go, Benj. Amazing Grace. Do you know the Amazing, Amazing Grace was written by a former slave trader by, called John Newton? And you know, that song was sung at almost every single rally for the best part of 50 years as these people in the abolitionist movement moved towards seeing slavery abolished in Western nations. That song became so much more than a hymn that you sing in church, it became the soundtrack of a movement. It became more than a song, it became an anthem. And this is true of the songs that we see in Scripture. That maybe they're not as familiar to you, 2,000, 3,000, that's the one we're gonna read today, years on, But these songs are so much more than words on a page. These songs are anthems. They they speak to something far deeper than just what is contained within them. And we're coming today to a song that might seem to you a little bit odd to put in the Christmas narrative. A song where we're actually rewinding from where we were last week. We're going back a thousand years. And we're gonna spend some time with a lady called Hannah, who in 1 Samuel chapter two, pens these words. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like you, Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly. Let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken and those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren, has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. 
but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. For it is not by strength that one prevails. Oh, you might want to underline that. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Interestingly, there is no king in Israel at this time. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Hannah's song, we're going to see in just a second, is a, a song about her life. But it's so much more than that. Scholars will tell you that this song actually was one of uh, the songs sung in the tabernacle by the Jews, perhaps written hundreds of years before her. She took an old song and she rewrote it according to her life and in its words, and I wish I knew its melody, is something so significant and so profound. Because this song is not just Hannah's song. This song is the song of the redeemed. And I've got a few titles for this message today. (laughs) You could call it Hannah's song. You could call it the song of the redeemed. Or you might just want to call it, I've got a reason to praise. Because when you look at Hannah's life, if you rewind and you read through chapter one, you see an interesting thing. Last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And those of you who were here will remember that we set it up and we talked about uh, when it says about King Herod, it could easily have said at a time of great darkness, when God was silent and hope was all but lost. The setting here today, a thousand years before, is at the end of the time of Judges for those Bible readers here. And you'll know that at the end of the time of Judges, the Bible tells us that it was a time of great darkness where everyone did as they pleased. So there was, there was not a lot of righteous living going on. There was not a lot of hope in the area, there was also not a lot of God speaking because if you go to 1 Samuel 3, it says the word of the, of the Lord was rare in those days. And that to me, I was like, this is fascinating that when Zechariah sang his song, it was a time of great darkness where God was silent and hope was all but lost. When you come to Hannah's song, you realise that it was a time of great darkness when God was silent and hope was hard to find. And Hannah's life is interesting. She's married this guy called Elkanah. Everyone say Elkanah. And Elkanah uh, wants to have children because as we talked about last week, having children's a big deal in antiquity. It's about inheritance. It's about posture. It's about stature. It's about notoriety. And so he marries Hannah, and it says that he loves Hannah, but Hannah can't have children. And interestingly, unlike Zechariah from last week, Elkanah goes and marries another lady called Paniah. Everyone say Panina. And can I just do a really quick sidetrack here? Because some people like to say that the Bible condones polygamous relationships. Can I just say it doesn't? 
The biblical picture for marriage and human relationship and human flourishing is Genesis 2, a husband with one wife who live and honour God, a man and a woman married under God. That's the biblical picture. Throughout the Bible, what it does show us is what happens when human beings disobey that and do the opposite. And polygamous relationships never, ever, ever end well. Young people especially, I'm looking at you. (laughs) They never end well. That's what the Scripture shows us. This is just another classic example where it all goes wrong. So the Bible does not condone that. Can I just draw that line and tick it, highlight it and say, great, awesome. Okay, so Elkanah's married Hannah. Hannah can't have children. And we know that he married Hannah first because her name is mentioned first in the text in in 1 Samuel 1. He marries Hannah. She doesn't have children. He marries Penina and then she has a whole bunch of children. And the thing about Penina is that she's not a very nice person. And so she actually makes Hannah's life a living hell. She spends her days making Hannah's life miserable. She taunts her, she bullies her, she teases her, she abuses her. She just rubs the fact that she's got kids, which again was a huge deal in those days. She just rubs it in her face at every possible opportunity. And Hannah is not in a good place. Penina is not a nice person. And so year after year, the Bible tells us that they would go up to the house of the Lord, they'd go up to the tabernacle and they would worship and Hannah would pray and she'd get on her knees and she'd say, Lord, like, just give me a child. This is all that I want in life. Give me a child. Let me be free from this seeming like this burden that I bear, that I just want a child. It's the the one desire of her life and that's she prays year after year and it never happens over and over and over again and it adds fuel to the fire. She's miserable. Are you in the scene? Are you with me? That's the position we find ourselves in. And then one year, they come to the tabernacle. Hannah, as normal, goes and prays. I'm just gonna read to you from verse nine of chapter one. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to you for all the days of his life. Verse 12, and as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here 
out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Now watch this. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. It's a fascinating little interaction. I wonder how many people have been in that place in their life where you have nothing left but a cry. And on your knees, just anguish before God saying, God, why not me? Can we get real this Sunday morning? Everyone else seems to be getting their prayers answered. Everything else seems to be going well for everybody else. And here I am faithfully serving you, giving you my all. And the one thing I'm asking for, you continue to withhold. Why not me? Do you even care? This is where Hannah finds herself. And the fascinating thing is that Eli, the priest, stumbles across her and he's like, oi, you're drunk, get out. And my summary of her response is, I'm not drunk, I'm desperate. I wonder if we've ever been desperate before a holy God. Desperate for answers, desperate for hope, desperate for a light to come into our situation, desperate for something from the God who seems to be silent. Hannah's here, she's grieving, she's pouring out her soul, she's laying it all before him and then there's a really interesting moment as we said before, because Eli says, go in peace, may God grant you that. And she said, may your servant find favour. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Here's the question. Has she got what she wanted yet? No. And yet something has shifted. In her cry, in her prayer, as she has wrestled with God, as she has poured her heart out before a holy God, something in this moment has shifted. Peace has come. And here's what I've realised. Peace has come to her as she has surrendered her desire. As she's come before God and said, if you give me this, this one thing that I crave, this one thing that I want, do you know what, Lord? It's yours. And as she comes to a place where she's able to surrender the very essence of who she is, the depth of her being, the one thing, as she goes, I'm gonna lay my life, everything I want, it's yours and it's in surrender that she finds peace. It's not in actually securing the desire that she finds peace. And there's something of the gospel in here that life is found not in the clamouring and the obtaining and the gaining of everything we think we want, but life is actually found in surrender. There's a little foretaste here into the song of what true life and true hope and true meaning and true purpose, where it is all found, it is found in surrender. 
And so she comes to this moment and then her story doesn't end here. She goes home and lo and behold, she falls pregnant. And as she falls pregnant, she gives birth to a boy called Samuel. And do you know what she does? She doesn't go, oh, well, Lord, I was just, you know, I was pretty emotional. So I think I'll just hang on to him because he is my son. She goes back to the tabernacle and she gives her only son, the one thing that she so desperately desired and she gives it, gives him to the Lord. We read this as a staff. As a staff team, we meet every Tuesday for worship, word and prayer. We read this passage and I'll tell you what, there were not many dry eyes in the house as we read this. Not me, I never cry. <laughs> Lies, I did. But like there was genuine, as we, as we read this, there was this weeping, there was this thing of like connecting with Hannah, being like, oh my gosh, like she's literally the one thing she's prayed for her whole life has finally come to pass. And now as a three to five year old, she has to, she's giving the child away. Parents in the house right now, is, are you with me? Like, I cried when I took my children to school for the first time for six hours. <laughs> she's giving up her son. She's handing her son over to the Lord. But watch, her reaction is not what we all did, which was like, think far out, that's so out. Her reaction is, my heart rejoices in the Lord. She's like, I got a reason to praise. I've got a reason to praise in the, the very act. Yes, she's been blessed with the child, but in the very act of surrender, in the handing over of all that God has given back to God, she's like, I have a reason to give God praise. Her reaction is not one now of lament. I'm like, what is going on? Shouldn't you be lamenting? Shouldn't this, this cause you to fall into tears like you did before? But it doesn't. Her heart's filled with joy. Her heart's filled with praise because guess what? I think she's heard something in the silence. I think as she's struggled with God, as she's wrestled with God, as she's battled with God, as she's poured out her heart to God, in that moment, I think something has clicked. I think a voice has just whispered into her darkness, into her silence, and it's this voice of redemption. It's the very whisper that we see revealed in the words of this song. It's God saying, Hannah, I know you're going through stuff. Hannah, I know this is hard. Hannah, I need you to know that I love you and I need you to know that my ways are not your ways. And sure, the world might think this is how your identity is formed, but let me tell you something about how my kingdom works. And then she therefore gives this child and sings this song prophetically. It's her anthem, it's her life, but it's more than her life. It is the kingdom song. This is how God works. So therefore we have a reason to praise. And it begins with this picture, this plan or this, this pattern where it says from verse three, don't keep talking proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord God knows. 
and by him deeds are weighed. Look at this. He, he, the bows of the warriors are broken and those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. Those who are hungry are hungry no more. The barren is born seven, but the one with many now pines. He's saying there's a picture and the picture is the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's this picture that those who love their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for Him will gain life. It's the picture that life is found in surrender, that redemption is found as we lay our lives down. It's God's picture of redemption. This is how He works. And it's a picture of how He would ultimately do it in the person of Jesus. As Jesus, as God didn't consider Him equality with God something to be grasped, but He humbled Himself and became obedient to what? Death on a cross. That's what Christmas is about. Surrender. That's the picture. And it's amazing. The strong become powerless. Powerless, strong, full, desperate, desperate, full. She's like, I'm not drunk, I'm desperate. And God's like, now in your desperation, you will be filled with something so much greater than what you desire, but with the joy of the Lord in the knowledge of your salvation. Amen. And then watch this. Not only does he just give us the picture of this is how it works, but he goes on to actually explain that he has the power to bring redemption. Oh, the song does. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. He sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. Why? For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful servants. He has the power to redeem. Do you believe that, Hills Baptist? That even when God is silent, and even when it's a time of darkness and even when hope is hard to find, God is not absent. He is not indifferent. He is working in your life through others to bring about a greater purpose and a greater plan, which is the redemption of your soul. That is God's intention. And He wants to draw you to Christ so that one day you will realise, I can have everything the world has to offer, everything, but all of it will fall away. None of it has power to save. We drove past a McLaren on the way to church this morning and it's a cool car, but it can't save you. None of it has power to save. There is only one who has power to save you from this life of sin and death. There's only one who has power to bring you true joy and true hope and everlasting peace. And His name is Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Only God has the power to save. And we're always trying to save ourselves. We're always trying to do things to build ourselves up and fill the empty voids. Only God can do that. Even the 1990 Chicago Bulls running into the Cirrus theme song, no matter how awesome that song is and how much energy it gives you, at the end of the day, it's just a song. 
It's just a crowd and it all fades away. But there is one who has the power to redeem eternally. Eternally. That he takes us from lowly places. Says he takes us from the miry clay and he sets our feet upon a rock. Did you know that? Did you know that it says that in him, we go from the dust of the earth, but we're gonna be seated with Christ on high, judging even the angels. It says that even the angels long to look in on these things. They're like, what the? And how? How does he do it? Well, this is how the song finishes. Team, you can come up, we're gonna close. How does God do it? That's his pattern. He has the power to do it. Verse nine, he will guard the feet of his, of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. There is no king in Israel at this point in time. In fact, at this point in time, there's not even a judge in Israel. There's a priest, but he's reasonably corrupt and his sons are extremely corrupt. Samuel becomes that judge. Samuel becomes a priest and a prophet. Samuel is a picture of the soon coming king. He's the kingmaker. He's the one who puts Saul in his place. He's the one who puts David in his place. And in the line of David comes Jesus. Hannah is prophesying about the true nature of redemption. This is the pattern. The low will be lifted up. There is power. God is the one who will do it. How will He do it? By bringing a humble king. It is not through strength, but it will be through sacrifice and surrender. That God Himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, won't come to earth to sit on a throne and have everyone bow at His feet there. No, He's gonna come and He's gonna lay His life down on a cross so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how He saves. That's how He does it. And people still are looking at this going, look, the Jews especially are still looking for the Messiah, looking for the King. It's clear as a bell. He's not gonna be an earthen King. He's gonna bring about salvation through surrender. And the way that we enter it the way we enter life, life to the full is exactly what these guys did today. Surrender, sacrifice, saying, God, your life is mine. And as we lay our lives down, we find life, true life, life to the full. Because that's the only way that we find true meaning, purpose, hope, and indeed salvation. Do you know the only way 
to miss eternity is to step over the cross. To see Jesus and say, I don't want it. My prayer is that nobody would make that mistake in this room. My prayer is that you would see Jesus in all His wonder, that you would see this great King at Christmas as you're listening to Michael Bublé, Elisha, or Mariah, or whoever else you listen to, that you would remember the song of Hannah, that the lowly will be lifted up, that the weak will be made strong. And whether that applies to you right now in your circumstance, that you would just walk in hope, that you would hear something of what Hannah heard in her moment of darkness. Or whether life's flying for you right now, that you would never forget, we can't boast in anything because everything we have is His and it's gone tomorrow. Only what is found in Him, only what is eternal, only what has spiritual significance will stand the test of time. It's all through Him. It's all by Him and it's all to Him. And this is why we celebrate Christmas, friends. So I wanna invite you to stand to your feet. All our kids, you're amazing just then, well done. I have, my heart is really uh, burning to pray with some people who feel like they're in a Hannah situation right now. Who you're like, I got nothing left, Dave. Like, I got nothing left. But guess what? You're here. And this is a word to you today to take courage, take hope. God is good. He answers His promises. He is true. He is faithful. He is just. And the evidence of that is a prophecy that was spoken 3,000 years ago that came to fruition. And it's for everyone. Come to Him. So if you need prayer, please come. We would love to pray with you. We have our, our elders and our praying team, can you guys spread out around the room? We'd love just to be there. Come, please come. We'd love to pray. Or tap someone on the shoulder next to you and ask them to pray for you. Also, if you're here and you have never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, there's no better time than the present to make that decision. Don't step over the cross. Don't let this Christmas season pass you where you get more stuff. You get more food, more drink, more of everything that you think will fill the cup. Trust me, none of it will. But Jesus, 
He is more than enough. So if that's you today and you'd love to say yes to Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. So we're gonna just close our eyes for one second. And if that's you and you're like, I wanna know more about this Jesus. Maybe you're not ready to go, yeah, I'm 100% in, but I wanna know more about Jesus. I wanna start that journey. I wanna encourage you just to pop your hand up wherever you are. Praise God. We'd love to pray with you. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we honour you, we worship you, we adore you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that Christmas is about so much more than a baby in a manger. We thank you that Christmas is about redemption. It's about your plan of redemption. It's about your power to bring about redemption. And is it about this promise, this prophecy that you fulfilled in Christ? So we worship you. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here right now who's just hanging on. Fill them, Lord. Encourage them. Bless them. May they know that you are trustworthy and that you are good and that you love them. May they find the peace that Hannah found as she wrestled with you. We bless you, Lord. We bless your holy name. Together with one voice, all God's children said, Amen. Let's... Spend a moment just blessing God and singing about His goodness. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.